Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Peyton Jones, and you are here for Hardcore Church Planning. And I have a special guest today. He is Derek Ongoy. Did I say that right? I said it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's Ngoy. Ngoy. See, yeah. people probably say enjoy, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. It's E N G O Y. And uh Derek and I met before at a Plant LB event. And uh he has multiple talents. Not only is he a pastor, church planner, preacher, but he is also uh I don't know what you call it when a guy does spoken word. Is is that a rapper, an MC? I mean, what 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 do you, what do you call yourself? Uh, it's either usually uh, we're usually referred to as poets or spoken word artists. Spoken word artists. There we go. And uh, we're poets. So I dig that because, you know, most of the Old Testament is poetry. Many people yep. don't realize that that is bigger than the law. That is bigger than the prophets is the section of poetry in the Old Testament. So uh, pretty close to my heart. Of course, I'm a, I'm a Bonoist. So I love you, <laughs> too. I think he has learned to do that extremely well. And uh, carries that message. So, man, I'm excited to have you on here. You are also uh, an author. You've got multiple books. Um, and you can go ahead and check those out at Derek Ingoy. I'm going to say that right this time. And is it .com? Uh, .us. .us. All right. Was there another Derek Ingoy that got .com? No, actually, that was mine, and then I forgot to pay the fees, and I lost <laughs> it. <so. laughs> and then the domain camper moved in. It was like, I'll sell That's this right. back to you for thousands of dollars. That's right. If you go to PeytonJones.com or PeytonJones.org, um, you'll find, I think it's like one is a as a uh, astrophysicist or something like that, and then the other one's a new age person. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I feel your pain there. And, yeah. uh, but, but they exist as, as weird people that are real that just That's got right. the site before I did. So I'm PeytonJones.ninja. But, uh, <laughs> nice. anyways, you have a new book coming out this week called Breathe. Tell us briefly about that book, what it, what it's going to be about, and then we'll hop into our topic. Yeah. So, uh, Breathe ultimately the premise is right. God breathed life into humanity and, and all of mankind. And unfortunately, I think as as people, we have a tendency to use our words to tear others down. And I set out to to write a book that entailed um, poetry that encapsulated this idea of breathing life into other people. And so all the pieces and and poetry and 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 uh, and such that you'll find in the book all um, center around this idea of breathing life into others, breathing life back into the church, breathing life into humanity, breathing life into people uh, who ne- don't necessarily believe in Jesus, but this idea of just breathing life into other people. Very cool, man. Very cool. So um, let's let's talk for a second a little bit about you and um, tell us what your journey was. How did you come to faith? Uh, well, I grew up a typical Filipino kid in a Catholic home. 
Um, so I guess you could say Jesus has always been a part of my life. Uh, just the practice of religiosity really wasn't um, even, how shall I say, it, it wasn't um, forced in our family. It was just something who we are. I mean, um, as a Catholic Filipino, you didn't necessarily practice faith. It was just part of who you are. You went to church every su- or mass every Sunday. Uh, there was nothing more to it, at least in my family. Um, it was, hey, just go for an hour, and then afterwards, we'll cut out the coupons and the missalette and go to McDonald's. That was church for me. Um, and as I got older, as I uh, looked toward uh, college, um, you know, my parents said, okay, you're, you're old enough to make your own decisions, uh, including um, choosing a religion. So I actually uh, started going to this this First Assemblies of God Church close by with a friend. Um, and uh, the moment I stepped foot into the sanctuary, I was floored just because growing up Catholic, there was no live instruments at the time. It was just all voice. And I walk into this church and you had a live band and I'm someone who grew up around music. Uh, that was very intriguing to me. And so um, I would say I fell in love with the experience, maybe not Jesus at the time in the, in the sense of what where I am now with my relationship with him. Um, but just such a youth minute church for me was basketball and music. That's what it was. Cause there was a gym at the church as well. And so, um, that was, that was me for a year, went off to college. And like most college students, um, I immediately, uh, turned away from what I knew to faith to be at the time. Um, I did my college thing, explored different religions. Um, I, I grew an appreciation for the many world religions out there. I was actually uh, very close to becoming Rasta. A lot of my friends uh, were Rastafari, uh, you know, followed Rastafari. And, um, but toward the tail end of my college, um, I, I began to have conversations with God. And, and I said to him, look, if I'm going to take you seriously, I, I really have to choose a direction. And in my studies of world religion and my appreciation for, for those of different faiths, the one thread that seemed to tie all the world religions together was Jesus. Um, the Rastas, of course, um, believe that King Elasiai was the second coming of Jesus. Um, this Jesus is found in the Quran. Um, Buddha got his, a lot of his teachings from Jesus. And so I, be, I chose to start there. I didn't necessarily start with any world religion in, in my serious exploration of God. I started with Jesus and because of my upbringing Catholicism and my early coming to Christ through the Protestant aspect, I decided to just go through the four gospels and just study Jesus, um, the human side of him, just how he engaged in others. And, and that really, I think the Holy spirit at the time was just really drawing me closer, um, to him through the narrative of Christ and, um, during my journey, I got connected with this Foursquare Church locally, and um, I just, you know, right away I got involved in ministry. And um, I don't know, I, I don't think there was like a key moment where I could say, yeah, on this date at this time, I gave my life to Christ. It was just a, uh, it was a ongoing journey that unfolded. Mm, yeah. And then, um, yeah. And so that's kind of like the the brief uh, capture of the snapshot of me coming to faith and taking God seriously. Yeah. I, I kind of share that with you. Um, I, I can't put a, a specific date on when I came to faith. I can tell you about a season and a time and I wasn't raised in a Christian home. So that wasn't, 
you know, but I didn't have this radical conversion experience. So, um, yeah, yeah let me, uh, let me ask you then. So that kind of leads on to where I was going next. And that is, how did you get involved with church planting? Um, yeah, so that church that, um, I ended up at, uh, the, the son of the pastor was set to plant a church. And at the time I was involved with the college ministry and he asked hey look um, I'm gonna plant this church in Carson and I was still living at Carson at the time and it just made sense um, the church that we were attending was in Norwalk it was about 30 minutes away from where I lived and the idea of being a part of a church that was only literally like t- two minutes away just made sense to me he asked me to come along as his youth pastor and, and I just said yeah let, let's do this and um, so we planted that church I believe it was 19 no 2000 Two, and um, you know, got ordained in the Foursquare Church, and um, we did that for about, I'd say, maybe like almost ten years or so. Um, during that time, we had merged with another church, but I would say about 2011, jumping forward, um, because it was never my intention to plant a church on my own. I, you know, it was I was very comfortable at my youth ministry job. Um, I think by the time I was ready to plant a church, I became the campus pastor of that church because we had you know, uh, merged with another church. And so we did the whole two multi-site deal. So I was comfortable. I mean, I, I, you know, I hate to say it this way, but you know, the church, you know, gave me a paycheck, took care of my family and I was good, you know? Um, but around 2011, I just felt like the Lord just tugging on my heart and about church planting. And I would have conversations with him saying, no, 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 you know, this is not, this is not my Avenue. I'm not called to this. And, And I, 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 I gauge, how God is moving a lot by what he says through my wife. And um, so my wife was also against church planting, but around the same time, I guess the Lord was working on her heart. You know, she, she's a, she's a granddaughter of a, of a huge evangelist in the Philippines. Her grandfather is uh, uh, had passed away already, but she saw what his work did in, in, in really affecting her mom's life. And just, you know, her grandfather was absent because he was always ministering, you know, doing the work of God and it tore the family apart. And my, my wife didn't want that to happen to us. So she was always against church planting. But around the same time that the Lord was working on my heart, I believe he was working on her because then she came up to me and says, hey, I think the Lord is really nudging us to plant a church. And I'm like looking at her thinking, really? Like you being against this. And so I just think at the same time that he was working on mine, he was working on hers. And I went up to our lead pastor and said, look, hey, what do you think about planting a church? Just sending us and just – you know, exploring that. And, and he was excited because again, he planted a church and it was always on his heart to plant more churches. Um, and so I got, you know, I, and I knew right away it was going to be Long Beach. Um, Long Beach is where I first landed or our family landed moving here from Guam. And so mm-hmm. Long Beach has always been my home, even though I grew up in Carson, um, got my undergrad at Cal State Long Beach, always in Long Beach for whatever reason. And so, you know, long, you know, to make a long, long story short, uh, we, you know, we connected with at the time it was Vision 360 before it became Plant LB, and um, the guys there were just fabulous in in welcoming me and 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 you know into church work even before we officially started. And so, um, you know, we officially planted the branch in 2014. So we're about three years in, and um, yeah, I mean, looking back, you know, people ask me now how stressful is it? Is it? Uh, leading your own church. And I tell them, look, it's been the least stressful experience I've ever had in ministry. 
Um, and part of it is, yeah, God's favor. But I think the branch, you know, we are who we are and we're not trying to be the church down the street. We're just being who we know that God's called us to be and we're staying in our lane. Um, so that, that, that in, in a nutshell is where our journey has been and how God has led us to where we're at today. It's good, man. Well, I would love to to pick your brain sometime and hear the ups and downs, the the joys and the pitfalls and the, the heartaches and the the baptisms and the conversion stories. Those would be great. But I I, I really want to talk to you um, about something that makes you a little bit more unique, and that is your um, gifting for spoken word. Um, that is a a powerful tool. Um, you know, I. Uh, uh, just as a as a way of introduction to this, um, years ago, I kind of realized that I'm probably not going to change the world as a minister. But mm-hmm. the way I see it now is the people that really change the world are the artists, the filmmakers, the musicians, the writers, the, you know, and I mean like writers of fiction and um, the things that people, you know, in pop culture grab hold of. Those are the thoughts that change the world. Not what I'm preaching on Sunday. However... I've learned that I am an influencer of influencers. So, mm. for example, I don't believe that my job is less. I feel it's more powerful as a preacher that I influence the influencers indirectly. So I serve yeah. as the grandfather to change, perhaps not the father of it. So my job becomes much more important. But it's the artists, really, that are on the front line of, of pop culture. C.S. Lewis, as a matter of fact, um, towards the last 10 years of his life, determined that he would no longer write books like Mere Christianity, although that started out as a radio broadcast. I'm sure he would have done something like that. But, you know, the problem of pain, uh, miracles, all those things that he wrote, which were straightforward nonfiction. Instead, he and Tolkien were talking, and he said, you know, I really think that our reach and our impact is greater if we can use art to communicate spiritual truth. And, uh, and, and that yeah. resonates with me. Um, it, what's kind of cool about spoken word is it seems to be almost a way where you can preach in the open air and not be thought yeah. of as a freak. So talk to me a little bit yep. about, you know, you know, spoken word, what exactly it is for audience if they don't know and, uh, and how you've seen it used powerfully. Yeah. So spoken word ultimately is poetry that was meant to be said out loud, right? So there's written poetry, like haiku and, and sonnets and such like that, that um, are meant for just readers. Um, but spoken word, like I said, is words that were meant to be recited out loud. It's performance poetry. That's what it is. Um, and, and for me, in addition to infusing poetry in a lot of my sermons, as well as, you know, sharing in different churches, um, I've been given a platform to share poetry outside um, what we would call the public square, what we would call, I guess, you know, the, sec- the secular world, uh, whatever that means, right? So um, whether it be coffee shops or whether it be at, you know, um, poetry venues, um, I've been able to go there. And I don't, I don't sugarcoat uh, who I love in, in God, and a lot of my poetry um, uh, reflects that. Um, a lot of times, too, a lot of my, my, my pieces challenge the church from not just being a Sunday-to-Sunday entity, but actually going out there to engage. So, you know, a lot of my spoken word topics just range. Um, but I will say this regarding how uh, we're able to engage the greater community. So I help lead 
a monthly um, open mic in Long Beach. It's become one of the largest and longest running open mic that's specific to poetry in, in the city of Long Beach. And I'd say half of us follow Jesus on the leadership team and, and half of us don't. And what that's allowed us to do specifically with the leadership team um, is engage those who don't believe in Christ. And it's allowed us to have a platform where we can, one, you know, practice our poetry and practice our spoken word in a way that tells the non-believer, look, we're here in it just like you are. We're here for the art of it. And we're here to express ourselves. And, and we've seen um, a good number of folks uh, come to faith that way. Now, every, every, every uh, open mic night, uh, it's called the Definitive Soapbox. You know, we, we meet at a coffee shop in Long Beach. And it's not advertised as a Christian open mic because it's not. It's just poetry. Um, and the draw is huge. And, you know, we, can, we average anywhere between, I'd say, 50, even upwards to 150, uh, um, you know, a night, depending on who the featured artist is. And a lot of our featured artists, um, you know, may not be Christian, but they're pretty well known in the poetry, poetry realm. Um, but again, it, it's, you know, we say this after every event, at the very end of it, as we close, we say, hey, look. The reason why we do this is because we love Jesus, and we believe that Jesus, if he was alive today walking the earth in physical form, he would be at gatherings like this with the least of these, with the rejected, with those whom the church perhaps um, have shunned. Um, and, and we believe that he would want something like this, a platform like this, to have a conversation with people. Right. Um, and, and we say, look, if, if, if you've been inspired tonight, um, if, if you want to talk more about who Jesus is, come talk to us afterwards, you know? Um, and, and it's, you know, we've found it very, people were very receptive to that, you know? Um, as I'm out there reciting my poetry, I've found a lot of people may not care about the branch or any other Christian church, but they're very intrigued by Jesus because I think a lot of times people have a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and who he is. Um, and partly I think the church has, you know, unfortunately communicated that, um, in a negative, you know, communicated Jesus in a negative light at times. Um, and so in, in my, I'll say it this way, in my travels um, on the mic, people are just more interested. I mean, I, I think every time I, I recite and, 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 and mingle afterwards, people are always interested in, in, in knowing more about Jesus. I mean, they may not give it, you know, their lives to Christ then and there, you know, they may not say right. this in his prayer then and there, but I can guarantee you every time I, I step off the mic, people are asking about Jesus yeah. um, because, again, it's reflective in my poetry. Very cool, man. I don't know if this is uh, conducive. I know you're in a coffee shop right now, but can you can you bust us out a sample? <laughs> uh, sh- sure. Um, put me on the spot, right? So yeah, You know, it's what I do. We're not yeah. even done doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sure. So um, – here, here's one that has, I think, has become very meaningful to me, and and uh, let me just go into it. Um, you are the backbone that holds this whole world together. Never in a million years did you ever think that the trees would warmly embrace you as you walked by, but they do. The trees, they embrace you. They shiver every time you whisper to the moons and sing your songs to the stars. Now, now you, 
you are every little girl's inspiration and you, you are what every grade school boy longs to be. And all of those imperfections that you complain about every single day, they're that way on purpose because God does not make mistakes. You were created in the image and likeness of perfection. See, when God looked at you for the first time, he high-fived the angels and said, dang, I'm good. And you, when God heard you cry for the first time, he got giddy with excitement because he knew that you would just be as compassionate as he is. You, you are broken, yet a magnificent mosaic of a masterpiece all at the same time. You make chiseled Adonis is jealous because at least your body is honest. And you, Mr. Chiseled Adonis, you're perfect just the way you are, no matter how ripped you get. You make atheists want to believe in God. You make the deities want to become human. You are a scantron where every possibility is the right answer because every answer points to the possibility that you're exactly who you're supposed to be right now, right this very moment. And despite how you feel about yourself, there is no one like you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are so unique that even carbon copies leave different impressions of your signature. You are reliable like worn out chucks. You are, you are, you are. You are more than you can ever imagine, and you are the living testimonies of what dreams are made of. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't become someone else's story. Rather, be the best version of you because you, you are perfect. Amen. All right. Yeah. That's that's sweet, man. So not bad for putting you on the spot, brother. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure when you're there and the crowd's there, you know, you it probably is very different than speaking into a, a you know, a, a headset, you know, in a yeah. coffee shop trying to keep it down. But man, that was good stuff. And, Thank and you. I love the beauty of, of the poetry. And yet it's, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny with spoken words. A spoken word can also, you know, it's poetry, but it's almost kind of very masculine poetry, which mm. for a dude is kind of cool. And, uh, you know, cause you, you know, other, other than that, you got like Shakespeare sonnets and sure. those just seem girly. Let's be honest. Right. They just <laughs> do. And, uh, but Hey, they've worked for hundreds of years, but yeah. Um, so, okay. So I know our church planners going, man, I never even thought about the possibility. Obviously I got a book called reaching the unreached becoming Raiders of the lost art. And, mm. The, the lost art to me is ministry in public space. Exactly yep. what you're doing. That's what the apostles learned to do, right? They learned to, um, take, you know, preaching of the gospel outside of the four walls, yep. which, you know, like, like, for example, yesterday on Facebook, I, I, I quoted somebody who said, you know, uh, preaching at a room full of people and calling it discipleship is like going into a nursery and spraying a milk bottle all over the babies and <laughs> saying that you fed them. And, and, and I got pushback and, and, and one of the pastors who I respect was like, Hey man, you know, preaching is important. But what I always want people to understand is when Paul talks about preaching, he's not talking about what we mean often, right? Yeah. Which is speaking to Christians in a room. Yeah. What Paul meant by preaching was what he did where he was out there talking to people. Yeah. And, and, and so. You know, I value preaching. Perhaps I value preaching even more so. And to me, that's why spoken word is important, maybe even, even vitally important because it is a vehicle to preach the gospel in a way that is very culturally acceptable that the church still is very behind on, right? Yeah. Catching up to. So, um, I, I really, 
I know that our church planners are listening and they're saying, man, you know, how do I do that? So obviously you find a Derek Ingoy and you say, <laughs> hey, man, is there anyone who knows spoken word? Let, let me ask you this. This is a stupid question. But for people who don't know anyone who does spoken word, maybe a Christian in their area, and they're thinking, man, I would love to harness this, support it, maybe learn to do it. Where do they start? Um, so when I first got into it, uh, you're talking about where does someone start writing poetry? No. How do you how do you get into the whole spoken word deal? Is it just something that you you have to have already loved, or can you say, man, I would love to do that. I think I'd be good at it. Like, how do people get into it? Um. <laughs> well, you, you just do it, right? So I remember when I first. So I started writing poetry in 94, and it was a year after that that I actually stepped up to the microphone. Now, prior to that, I grew up um, a hip-hop head, and so you know, I was familiar with the mic. I was familiar with the crowds, um, but that was in the context of rocking it with you know, a partner and on tracks. But by myself, that was a different beast. Take some guts, um, man. That, that's why I'm asking this question because I think for people listening to this, I think – there are people out there that, that just what you said, you just got to do it. You got to love yep. it enough to just want to do it. So, yep. um, let's say somebody says, Hey, you know, I, I think I know some people and I want to, I want to open, even if I myself don't do spoken word, I would love to start harnessing this way of getting out in the community, um, in a way that's authentic. Um, like, cause I, I'm guessing a lot of our church planners are never going to bust a mic in front of a crowd of people. But if they want to harness this and say, hey, you yeah. know, there are people, young people, people that are in this scene, um, what do they do? How do they start? How did how did you get started in Long Beach? Because you're now running one of the, the largest. And one of the things yeah. that, that I think is important for church planners to learn to do is we always talk about infiltrating the community. But I think mm -hmm. one step beyond that is when when you've really kind of mastered ministry in public space, you're not just entering into the slipstream of the community. You're actually creating community hubs. And I actually yeah. believe that's what the church does, uh, particularly in the New Testament. And it does it well, yeah. but it does it in public space. How did you guys start that out? Uh, uh, so part of it is engagement, right? And so um, you just got to go to – I mean, most – big cities have open mics. Um, and I would suggest just start attending, just start being part of the community. Um, what I'm not big on is creating Christian versions of what already exists. Yep. So it was, it wasn't our intent to create a Christian version of open mics. It was like, no, look, we're going to, we're going to go into the community. Um, we're going to be a part of what's already happening. Um, and you know, at the time and the person who started it about seven years ago, uh, the definitive soapbox, what, what he saw was, okay, um, we all we all have gone to different open mics, um, but there hasn't been one specific to poetry. And so just conversing with the poets, again, these are non-Christian poets. Like, look, hey, if we started something for our poetry community, would you be a part of that? And a lot of them, you know, latched onto it. They loved it. They loved that idea. Um, so, again, I go back to the word engagement. Um, you just got to engage with what's already there yeah. um, and specific to this realm. You know, just attend open mics. You know, um, for those who are trying to harness the craft, what better way to, to develop your skill by being exposed to different, mm. po you know, poetry? I mean, even for me, even though I run one, I still go to open mics where I don't even recite. I just go to hear. 
Um, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of times what I found out there's, you know, the poetry scene is, is, you know, malleable and, you know, different styles come up, you know, different ways of, of presenting your art, um, uh, emerge. And so I need to expose myself that, you know, expose myself to that as much as possible. And so you do that by just going and just yeah. hearing, receiving, you know, and then of yeah. course you balance that out by then practicing it. Right. So yeah, I think it's I important. Say, yeah. I think it's important that you raise too, that we're not talking about starting a Christian open mic night because yeah. nobody but, but Christians will go to that. Um, Absolutely. I didn't open mic night. Um, something that <laughs> I, I, I am not a spoken word artist, so let me state at the outset, when I say we did an open mic night, we did um, open mic discussions. So we right. would take topics and talk about that. And we specifically targeted a gay coffee house and went mm -hmm. in there, and it was just boom. And we learned tons of lessons, even though it wasn't a Christian discussion group. We found even if you have too many Christians, you know, um, it can start making the conversation feel weighted. And yep. so, you know, you learn the hard way. I, I would imagine in your night, you have to be careful how many Christians get up there. If, if, you know, over half of them are, are given Christian spoken word, it, it's probably going to turn people off and be like, Hey, this is like the Christian thing that, that I came into. And so I agree with you. I, th I think what we're talking about. Is just having a voice somewhere in the yep. community, not creating the Christian thing. In fact, that is counterproductive to what we're talking about, which is actually reaching. So when I say creating a community hub, I don't mean a community hub for believers. I mean quite the opposite. I mean a community yeah. hub that's for the community that Christians yeah. have a voice in. Absolutely. Any final thoughts on this before uh, we go that, that might just be some – you know, some tips or some, uh, you know, like I mentioned, the discussion group, that's an alternative. You know, if guys are like, I don't know any spoken word, it's just that getting out in the public space, any other tips or, or, or lessons you've learned out there doing this? Um, and I'd say this, I mean, in one of my pieces, uh, one of the lines says the gospel is good news meant for the lost and not the Sunday Christian. And that, that has been huge, um, as a great reminder, not just for others, but for me. And if we're all as followers of Jesus commissioned to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, um, the preach the gospel part, and, and you touched upon it earlier, that that's not necessarily geared towards believers. That's geared toward those who don't believe. And if we say we love God, and this is the whole epistles of John, right? If we say we love God, then we need to reflect that. Um, and, and, and so I, I would say as much as possible, engage in others, um, to really put yourself in a situation where you're going to be around non-believers, mm. um, not to be afraid to have conversations with people. I mean, the, 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 the explosion of, of craft coffee shops have been huge. I think for, for me and others where you just set up shop in a coffee shop and, and you just talk, you know, you, you just comment on someone's coffee. And, and I think there's this fear of invading someone's space, mm -hmm. but you'll be surprised at how many people are just looking for someone to have a conversation with. You know, we deal with a lot, like for instance, we deal with a lot of homeless in, in our church and in our community and Long Beach, you know, Long Beach. right away, <laughs> you just want to 
you know, the, the initial thought is, oh, you know, how can I give this person food? But no, I mean, a lot of times our, our homeless friends, they don't want food because they can get three square meals a day yep. from all the organizations. Yep. A lot of times they just want to have a conversation. Yep. And yep. so, and I think that's applicable across the board. Like, you know, the person who's sitting across from you at the coffee table, they, they just want to have a conversation and, and you'll be surprised. And I think, again, it goes back to engagement and just saying, hey, how's your day? And that can open a world of conversation. Absolutely, Absolutely, man. That's fantastic. Well, hey, man, it's been great having you on. Um, yeah, you can connect with Derek at uh, DerekEngoy.us. You can also check out his new book, Breathe, which is in Barnes & Noble. Is it also on Amazon? Yeah, and then you can get it directly, too, on the website, DerekEngoy.us. Awesome. My train's coming by. Bad timing. <laughs> but uh, like Mr. Rogers, that signals us it's time to go back to the really real world and leave make right. leave land. But uh, <laughs> anyways, hey, brother, it's been cool having you. We always kind of hit you with a last question. And that is, um, and, it, and it changes for everybody, but it's one that our listeners especially like. If you and D.A. Horton were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win? Go. Uh Probably D.A. Horton because I've only gotten into three fist fights in my life and I've lost all three. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. You're like, you know, I'm going to stick to uh, a spoken word. Uh, right. My MMA career is not looking too good. <laughs> I dig that, man. That is that is some insight. That is what we call self-awareness. And uh, I appreciate that about you. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. And guys, be sure to check out the new book, Breathe, which releases this week. Thanks, Peyton. Appreciate it. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.